0: Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today, you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. Well, last week, we began a new sermon series um, entitled Saints Under Construction. And what I'd like to do is just do a a quick review with you of of that uh, very important message from God's Word. And and the Bible says, if if we're kind of looking at our lives here, that the moment a person receives Jesus as Savior, okay, that moment when a person says, yes, I have sinned, my sins have separated me from God, I believe Jesus died on the cross, paying the penalty for my sins and rose again, and right now just... By faith, the best I know how, I receive Christ as my Savior. I receive Jesus as my Savior. The Bible says when you do that, every sin gets forgiven. You have eternal life, and God moves in. God himself moves in and begins a new work in you. And he says this. What we saw in 1 Corinthians there is that at that very moment, you become a saint. Now, I don't know what your religious background is, Uh, you may have in mind a saint, some saint, someone who lived a long time ago and did certain things, and now has become called a saint. Uh, but that's not what the Bible talks about. When the Bible talks about saints, it's talking about every Christian, any person who has received Jesus as Savior. Now becomes a saint. The word saint means a holy one. And so deep down inside, when you received Jesus Christ as Savior, you became holy and righteous. And good and loving deep down inside in your spirit. Now, did you notice that when you received Christ as Savior that everything else didn't change immediately? Did you notice that the way you thought about things didn't automatically change? Some of it may have, but not all of it. How you felt about things didn't automatically change. And how you lived your life didn't automatically change. That was the whole process. But, so what's the deal? Well, the reality is that God says deep down inside, you are now a saint. You are a holy one because he made you holy. You know, he died for your sins and he paid the penalty, he made you holy. But in your mind, your will, your emotions, now you're a work in progress. And what God is doing is he's working on you from the inside out to help to change you in your experience, in your thinking, in your, your choices, in your, your feelings, and even how you live your life out in the world. He's, he's working on you to make what's the reality deep down inside of you, to make that reality show up on the outside more and more and more. And so that's why we're talking about we are saints under construction, okay? The reality is that's what we are, and now God is forming everything and reshaping everything to make the outside match the inside. It's a lifelong process we can make huge progress on. Now, as we try to make progress on these things, what you discover is there are a multitude of voices that will tell you what you need to do, all right? right. All sorts of ideas about how you're supposed to live. And they aren't all coming from Christian places, but how you should live your life, what you should think is important, what you should protect, what you should deny, uh, how you should arrange your finances, your relationships, and on and on and on and on it goes. Now, where we really see this big time in our culture is in the explosion of self-help books. Two years ago, New York Magazine said that there were over 45,000 titles on the bookshelves in our country, self-help. Help. And, and um, so I, I looked up some of these uh, and I found these. You'll enjoy these, okay? Some of these always end up absurd. And Carol, this is for you guys. I, I just got to figure this is how Ed ended up with you. No, no, here we go. How to attract women by speaking Klingon. Okay? All right. Another one. I like this, is, you know, this is genius. How to get millions of idiots to buy your book? Okay. And then there's a book of quotes that had a, a CD. You ever seen like a, you know get a book and there'll be a CD in it for something, music or something. But a book of quotes with CDs. And it's entitled "Inspirational Quotes as Read by Ozzy Osbourne." The to six right? 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 Mean, um, and this one, I, I didn't know there was this much trauma involved, but getting over your goldfish. Uh, maybe flesh them down. I, anyway, this is. And this is, this is one. I like this. they start off the title really and said, this is what I want. Simplify your life. I want to simplify your life, right? Simplify your life in just 6,486 steps. <laughs> so, kind of absurd. Uh, I'm, there actually are, I'm sure, very good self-help books out there, things that are very practical and help you make things. But ultimately, the problem ends up being is that uh, these self-help books aren't God-dependent. It all goes on you, doesn't it? It's up to you. It's what you need to do. And... and um, they're not built on a biblical foundation and so they miss the mark. Places, And if you aren't careful, you can buy into something that takes you the wrong place. And so we think this whole process of how do I get my life together and get it to be what it's supposed to be. Well, God has a process, but if we aren't careful, we listen to these other voices coming at us and we make mistakes and and make wrong choices that only complicate the matter in the long run and slow down the, the process that God is working on. Well, in Corinth, when the Apostle Paul went there. Now, they didn't have the Internet, and they didn't have publishing companies like this, but nonetheless, there were a lot of different voices that had the Corinthians' ear. And and so, uh, there were all sorts of uh, well-known personalities. Think Greek philosophers, right? Famous people. Uh, There was all sorts of rhetoric and how they talked about things, uh, human abilities and human wisdom, and it really a big deal to them. And, and so Paul said, I don't want any confusion. Well, actually, let me back up just say, you know, can I talk about self-help books again just a little bit more? Do you realize that we wouldn't need nearly as many self-help books if people opened up the Bible and read it? There used to be lots of practical things, but that would solve a lot of people's problems. Okay, so anyway, as Paul is, is gone to Corinth and he is, he is um, talking about what's going on in their lives, what is pulling at them, and he said, I had to make a conscious decision when I came to you how I was going to do that because the ramifications of how I do that are big and it's going to really make a difference. And so what I want to do is let's take a little bit of time here and, and this morning and work our way through some verses and see what Paul is saying, and then let's talk about why it really matters. So let's go to chapter 1, uh, 1 Corinthians. And if you have your Bible with you, uh, or if you don't have a Bible with you, there's one underneath the the seats there in the racks. And we're going to be on page 1311. 1,311. So chapter 1, we're going to begin in verse number 18. He says, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So for those of you who have received Jesus as Savior, do you remember when you heard the gospel? Was it a powerful thing in your life? The message of the cross? The message of the cross is that idea, again, that you know, we've all blown it, we've all messed up our relationship with God, we're all separated from Him, we're all on our way to hell, but God loved us so much that He sent His Son in the world And he lived a sinless life. And then as he died on the cross, God says that he took all the guilt and penalty for my sins, all the sins I'll ever commit, and put it on Jesus, put it on the Son of God. All the sins that you have ever committed or ever will commit, he put on Christ, the guilt, the penalty for those things, for the whole world. And then he died there. And as he died, the guilt and the penalty was paid. He rose again from the dead, and then God says to us, if you'll acknowledge that you're separated from me by your sin and you need a Savior and you'll believe my son died for you and rose again, you can just open up your heart and receive Christ as Savior. And let his payment for the, uh, your sins be applied to your account so that you no longer have any sin debt." That is the message of the cross. And, and it... It results in every sin forgiven, right? Every sin, every sin you ever have committed, every sin you ever will commit Jesus died paying the penalty for it. And you receive Christ as Savior, that all gets credited to you, and you no longer have a sin penalty to pay. When it comes to heaven and your relationship with God. So he says, that makes sense to us, doesn't it? That makes sense to us. But he says, to those who are perishing, to those who haven't been saved, it doesn't make sense. It sounds like kind of foolishness to them. What do you mean? No, I, I have to be good enough to go to heaven. Or I don't even believe in heaven. Or, well, you know, I think God's going to balance the good and the bad, you know, and, which isn't in the Bible either. Or I'm a lot better than a lot of other people. And, and none of that is going to work. But so to them, the whole idea of Jesus dying is kind of foolishness. It doesn't make sense to them. And then verse 19, it says, For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. This is a quote from the Old Testament. And then Paul says, For where is the the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? In other words, what looks wise to this world, God has said, no, that's foolish. Then it says this, For since in the wisdom of God the world through wisdom did not know God. Now, that's a little bit of a, of a brain teaser here in this sense. What he's saying is this God determined that nobody would ever get right with him because they could figure it out for themselves. They couldn't know. Nobody's going to get it because they come up with this great strategy for how I can be right with God. Nobody's going to do that. He says, no, it's not going to happen. And it says it was God's wisdom that he set it up that way. Okay? So in God's wisdom, he made it so that nobody would get it, make heaven by their own wisdom. So let's continue. He says that the world through wisdom did not know God. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe, the preaching of the gospel, and people responding in faith to God because of it. For Jews request a sign, and Greeks seek after wisdom. The Jewish people already believed in God, and so they were looking for miracles to show what was God doing. And the Jews, once again, we know the whole philosophy and, and uh, uh, those great philosophers and how they looked at things. They wanted, you know... Uh, a really, you know, respectable, I can figure this out kind of faith. And then he says this, verse 23, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews, a stumbling block, and to the Greeks, foolishness. Because the Jews would say, wait a minute, no way. No way is that God's doing if he's hanging on a cross. That's not God. Oh, we aren't going to listen. And the Greeks are saying, what do you mean? You know, that's not, I got all these logic and all these things that I, I need to build it on. And you're just telling me I just got to see that he did this for me? You know, it seems foolishness to them. It's a, and so it becomes a problem. Verse 24, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. In other words, nobody is figuring this out because there's some really important or smart person. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world. By the way, they're not foolish to God. And once we understand, they aren't foolish to us. But to the unsaved world, they're foolish. And that's what he says. God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty and the base things of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. No human being will ever be able to stand in God's presence and say, I did this myself. I'm here because I was smart enough to figure it out. I'm here because I was good enough to live it out. Nobody will ever do that. No flesh should glory in his presence. But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. All those things I talked about earlier when I was standing over here. That is, as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. If you are saved today, who gets the credit? That's really a question I'm asking you. God does. He's the one who, you would never have even wanted to be saved if he hadn't worked in your life. But he worked in your life and you see, he enabled you to see your need and he enabled you to see the solution and he enabled you to respond. He provided all those opportunities for you and he provides that for anybody who will be open. The People don't always accept and are open. This is what I want to get you down to now. All of these competing voices about, you know, that were coming to people there in Corinth. In chapter two here, Paul's going to say, let me tell you what I did on purpose because of that. So let's read. Chapter two, verse one. And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God, For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Okay, so Paul is saying here, all these competing voices, there were a lot of voices in Corinth that you could say they used excellence of speech. Man, they were good speakers. They could, you know, take you down a road. By the way, have you ever... uh, Maybe you've seen it on television or read about it or even knew somebody. Have you ever known anybody who seemed to be able to persuade people anything? You know, they can stand up and they can talk and the way they talk and motivate that they can get people all excited. Even if it's a bad idea to follow them. And so Paul says, you know what? I'm not coming with excellence of speech. Your response is not going to be because I've used some fancy method, you know, talking to you. And then he said, Nor is it human wisdom. And human wisdom probably would refer to the idea of you know, strategies and coming. He said, I didn't come with, with these really you know, intricate strategies to try to get you to see and respond and believe. No, I said, I came and I just made it very clear, very plain, that this is about Jesus Christ and Him crucified. So let's continue. He said, I was with you in weakness and fear and in much trembling. And if you remember earlier, uh, I think in the summertime, I'd preached from 1 Corinthians, yeah, Corinthians, where we looked at Paul. He was fearful in Corinth, so much so that God had to come and show up and say, Paul, I'm going to take care of you. Don't be afraid. And so they saw that in him. And he says, in my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. For I determine not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified because I want your faith to be in God, not in anything else. Not in anything else. And so he makes a big deal out of this. And he's not anti-wisdom, because the very next verse, he says, oh, we, we teach wisdom to those who are mature, and elsewhere talks about all the riches and the glories of the wisdom and knowledge in Jesus Christ, so that's not a problem. But he says, when it comes to the starting point and the foundation for your relationship with Christ and being a Christian, this is where we have to start, and this is what we have to build everything else on. So let's talk about this for a little while today. This point of Jesus Christ and him crucified. So important because it's the starting point for a personal relationship with God. Nothing else is going to get you that personal relationship with God. It is the starting point. And and he lists three things here. He says Jesus, Christ, and him crucified. So let's talk about those three things. I mean, it's interesting because he doesn't say just Jesus Christ And he doesn't just say, you know, um, Christ crucified. He he makes a point of saying, Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now, why did he say that? I think, to me, as I I meditate on this and and, uh, uh, talk with God about it, here's kind of what came clear to me. We have three different ideas here. The first one being Jesus, okay? Now, Jesus, he's God in human form, isn't he? He's the one who understands your mess, doesn't he? He knows what it's like to have to have all the problems of the world around him, to have the pressures of life. He knows what it's like to have relationships with people that don't work. He knows all of those things. As it says in Hebrews, that we, you know, our high priest, Jesus, he he understands the feelings and the weaknesses. He understands because he's been here. I like this Jesus. You know what I mean? This Jesus makes me feel good. Feel good about myself. And, you know, God understands. And does God understand? Does he? He absolutely does understand. But if I stop there, that I have a God who understands, I'm on my way to hell. And God understands. It doesn't do what needs to happen. Just the idea of Jesus isn't enough. Okay, then it says Christ, Jesus Christ. Now, Christ is is a term, it's like an official term for an office. Uh, In the Old Testament, he was called the Messiah. In the New Testament, he's called Christ. And it's just different words that mean the same thing, the anointed one, the promised one, the Savior. The Savior. I like the idea of a Savior, too. Because my sins are going to get forgiven, right? He's going to save me from my sins. But I want you to know something God did not just forgive your sins because He's nice, He didn't. He forgave your sins because His Son paid the penalty. And so if we stop short of and him crucified, if we want to have Jesus and focus on this, you know, God that's in humanity and understands us, we want to focus on I have a Savior. Oh, he's going to forgive me all my sins. We are still lost because God never forgives anybody just because he wants to. He is a just God. He is a holy God. The penalty for sin must be paid or he's unjust. And so, Jesus Christ, and what? Say it with me. And Him crucified. Now, this idea of Him crucified is offensive. Because, you know, the the death on the cross was a horrific death. I mean, it was terrible, brutal. You know, you wouldn't want to see it. Okay? I certainly wouldn't want to experience it. And that is terrible. Uh, and, and so, you know, we have crosses, right? Some of you may have a cross on today on around a necklace. or We put cross up here and there. That's not what the people in Paul's day would think of if they thought of a cross. They would think of an electric chair or a noose, you know? Or nowadays with uh, lethal injection, the gurney with uh, where they would, you know, put the chemicals in. That's what they thought of. And it's offensive because it's this. It says to you that you're, are so bad, your sins are so bad, you are so messed up that Jesus had to be crucified for you. How messed up is that? He had to die that horrific death for you because of me and you and our sins. You see how that's offensive? You're not good enough to go to heaven. That's an offensive thing to tell somebody, isn't it? I mean, I have that conversation with people from time to time, and they're talking about this. Well, I think, you know, my good outweighs my bad, and I have to say, you know what? I realized a long time ago that if it was, if I had to be good enough to go to heaven, it's too late. And that none of us are good enough to go to heaven. How do I know that? Because Jesus was crucified. If I could be good enough to go to heaven, why does Jesus have to be crucified? Does he? Doesn't need to be crucified. But see, I'm not good enough to go to heaven. You're not good enough to go to heaven. None of us are good enough to go to heaven. And so he was crucified. And so all three of these things are important for us to understand the gospel. That he was Jesus, uh, God in human form. That he was the Christ. He is the one who fulfilled the prophecy and became the Savior. And he was crucified. He paid the penalty. terrible terrible penalty. Do you understand? As Jesus hung on the cross, it's not so much the physical anguish, although that is terrible. When Jesus was looking forward to this in the Garden of Gethsemane, do you remember what it says about him? That he was praying, and he was in such agony, saying to his father, is there any way that I don't have to go through this? But I want your will, not mine. So he was surrendered, but He was expressing the agony of his heart because he knew what was coming. And not just the physical suffering of the cross, but that he was going to be hanging on the cross. And I mean, how do you feel when you feel guilty for your sin? It's heavy, isn't it? It's bad. And so pile up all your sins, all of my sins, all of our sins together, a, and he experienced that guilt and that penalty, and it was so extreme that somehow, some way, and this is really beyond my ability to understand, we have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. How many gods do we worship? One God, he is one God, the Bible is absolutely clear. He is one God, but it also says that he exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We don't quite understand, that, but he's one God. And somehow on the cross, the Son of God hanging there, as he experiences this weight of the guilt and penalty, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Somehow between father and son, there's this this tearing, this rending, this, this pulling apart, this sense of separation. And I don't know how that works with God, but I'm telling you, he did it for me. He did it for you. And he he paid that price. And this brings us to the next thing that we can understand. Because Jesus Christ and him crucified, we can experience the power of the love of God. What would lead someone to do that for you? What would lead someone to give their life for you? And not just to give their life, but to pay all of your penalty, bear all your guilt. Is there anything besides love that would motivate someone to do that? And and a love that I can't even fathom. I I just, I gotta be real open with you here. I think about this and if if it was me and God said, listen, would you uh, take the guilt and penalty, the sins of the whole world so they could be saved? In fact, well, you know, you're not son of God. That means that you need to pay the penalty for the sins and you're going to hell. I'm not doing it. I'm sorry I don't love you that much. But Jesus experienced that penalty that was the equivalent of our eternity. It would take us eternity in hell to try to pay. He took that payment, that penalty somehow. How much does he love us? He loves us supremely. Jesus Christ and him crucified is also a motivation for holy living. Because let's think about this. Um, for holy living, go ahead and go to that next slide if you would there. This idea of how horrific is sin and how do we know? I mean, sometimes we can see it in our own lives, right? We do what we know isn't right, and then we don't like the way we feel because of it. And then it brings problems in our lives, especially if it's repeated over and over again and patterns. And so we can see that's bad and that's ugly. And sometimes we can look at people who are really, their lives have been destroyed by sin and see it. But I want you to see something that, that really the place that tells you how horrific sin is, is the cross. It is the crucifixion. And once again, it's hard for us to fathom because we haven't seen that like the people of Paul's day did. But if we could see the horror of crucifixion and also see that huge sin, burden of guilt and penalty that he paid, if we could see that and understand that, we would say, sin is worse than I ever imagined. You know, and we're gonna get to heaven one day and also be free from it and we're gonna see that sin was worse than we could ever imagine. And so when I think of Jesus Christ and him being crucified, he had to be crucified because of sin, wow, do I really want that in my life? Do, do I want to make this choice? Knowing that sin always brings death, something always dies when we sin. There's corruption in it, there's rottenness in it. And we're prone to it. But see, Jesus is crucified for it. But the idea is I ought to say, you know what? If that's what sin does, that's what sin requires, why in the world? do I want any more of that in my life? It's only bad. Looks good up front, feels good for a while, but it always only brings bad things into your life when you'd live differently than God says you ought to. And Jesus died paying the penalty of this sins, but it ought to motivate us to do this. And I, I want to just share an idea with you here, and, and it's, it probably doesn't really fly logically, but, but hang in there with me. One of the things that I've thought over the years started to realize is that Jesus died for all of my sins, right? He knew them all. Before I, He knows them, he died for them. But I always have this sense of now when I'm faced with temptation and I, I can choose to sin or not sin, hey, wait a minute. If I choose to sin, that's another sin that Jesus had to die for. Now, I get it, he's already died for them all. But do you see what I'm trying to say? So why do I want to add to that? And so Jesus Christ and Him crucified is a motivation for holy living. It, uh, Jesus Christ and Him crucified is also the foundation for effective church ministry. For effective church ministry. I um, grew up in a church where it was very much about Jesus, like we talked about earlier. The, you know, the one who understands and all of those things. Um, Christ is mixed in there a little bit, but there wasn't very much about him crucified. But I want to say this to you, that if we ever leave Jesus Christ and him crucified, if we ever leave that as foundational to what we do, we have just gone astray. And we might as well go do something else. It is that important. It must be at the foundation of all that we do as a church. It must be where we go out from and where we come back to. It must permeate everything. That doesn't mean that we're always, everything has to be saying that, but it needs to be consistent with that. It needs to start from this, that Jesus Christ and Him crucified You see, some of those voices that Paul was talking about that were, you know, could have potentially pulled the Corinthians astray and why he didn't go with it was that when he talks about excellence of speech, he's talking about, you know, human abilities. And he's talking about human wisdom. He's talking about their strategies for doing things. Here's always a danger to a church. So as a church, we try to do things well. We try to, to, you know, use music that will engage with the people in our culture and help them to worship God. We, we, we make different seating arrangements because we think it's going to be better. We, we go to two services. Uh, we, we've really, you know, uh, done a lot of work in our children's ministry and our nurseries. All this kind of stuff. We, need, we want to pay the lot, right? So, you know, that, that won't be an obstacle. We try to remove obstacles. But here's the deal. If if we aren't careful as a church, we can transition from it being about Jesus Christ and Him crucified into our abilities or our methods. But here's the deal. You know, we, we want to have a good band to help us worship. Do, do you feel like we have a good band? I think we do. Anyway, but nobody ever got saved because we have a good band. I think the seating is, is really valuable to us. I think it's going to be a, a big help to us in the long run. But nobody ever got saved because they sat in a chair instead of a pew. Nobody ever got saved because they had a smooth parking lot to pull in. Nobody got saved because there's a, a you know children's ministry and we check them in. and I, No, all those things are valuable. All those things are potent. But why do they get saved? They got saved, people get saved because they come to grips with Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And so that's why I'm saying we as a church must always keep this at the forefront. We, it's offensive, but, you know, when we have people come in, I need to say to them as the pastor, our songs need to communicate it, that, that we have sinned and have need, in need of a Savior, and he's done that, he's provided that for us. Jesus Christ and him crucified, that must always be there. And if we stray from that, you know, like I said, we might as well go to something else. Okay, finally, uh, Jesus Christ and him crucified becomes the basis for our uh, our reason to witness and to reach the world with missions, in missions. Did Jesus just die for you? Did he just crucified for you, that whole thing? No. He was crucified for that family member of yours that doesn't know, doesn't have a relationship with him yet. He, he, He paid the penalty and suffered it. And... You know, one time we had a song that talked about God lavishing his love. And and somebody complained at the time because they felt, well, that's not right because God doesn't waste his love. That's lavish, it's overboard. And we shouldn't say that about God. But you know the reality is that God does lavish his love because who did he love? For God so loved the world. Jesus died for the world, not just for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world, John says. And are they all gonna get saved? But Jesus paid the penalty for them, didn't he? So in a sense, that gets wasted. Doesn't get used. He did lavish his love on us, didn't he? So the point is, he has died. He has lavished his love on us. That person, if if you do not, if you aren't faithful to try to reach those people in your life with the gospel, what Jesus did on the cross for them just may get wasted. And I know we think world missions and it's out there somewhere and we don't know those people. But do you understand the people in uh, South America today and in Europe and in China and Russia where Mandy Swanson is and, and in, in Pakistan and Afghanistan and India and on and on we go, individual people people that God knows, people that when Jesus died, he died knowing he was paying the penalty for their sins. How are they gonna hear the gospel? Jesus told us to get it to them. And I know we can't do it all ourselves, but we should figure out what is our part and do it, shouldn't we? We need, and so the fact that Jesus died for them means we need to go and tell them. They need to know that. Jesus Christ and him Crucified. And let me just talk briefly about this with you here. In this area of missions, we, we need to do a better job as a church. You know, there's probably some things that we need to do better in communicating with you and helping you, but, but we as a church need to do better. And here's the deal. If, if we are going to have money to give to missionaries... You know, to send to support so they can buy their food, so they can get their plane tickets, so they can live there and preach the gospel so these people can get saved. If we're going to do that, we have to have money to do that. And we don't have money to do that unless we, the members of this church, give that money. And to give that money, the way we're set up, you on purpose have to decide, I'm going to give something to missions and write it right on your envelope or do it online, choose to do it. Because your other giving, you're just giving it, and it goes into the general fund, and that's good and right. It's an act of worship, and it supports and sustains the church. But then you need to say, God, what do you want me to give to missions? And give something extra to missions. Because we need to grow this, because here's the reality. Right now, we have uh, one of our own missionaries, Mandy Swanson, who is in Russia. And because of what's happened back over here with some of her supporters in, in the country here, she's behind about four or $500 a month. And she's going to have to raise that, try to come home. And we can't give her that, man. We don't have it. I tell you why. Because you know that for the last maybe two years almost now, we have been underwriting our mission support. We've, we've obligated ourselves to missionaries to be faithful supporters of them. But we have about $200 less a month than we need to do that. And we've been underwriting it because we had some money saved in missions. So that, but that balance is going down, down, down. We might be able to do that for another year. But here's the if, if, if we don't see that turn around, we're going to have to start cutting missionaries, cutting support. How terrible would that be? And, and we don't have money to even consider taking on a new missionary. We have young families come through devoting their whole lives to go to a mission field where they need the gospel. They're willing to go and they, we can't support them. Now, let me say this. If everybody here is already giving you, you've already thought about this. You've prayed about it. And you're giving whatever God wants you to give. Praise the Lord. Don't, don't take any offense here. But I'm saying we all need to do that. And we need to search our hearts and say, oh God, you know, is, can I do more? Is there something I, I'm doing for myself that i just for pleasure that maybe I could do without? And something I'm doing that's trying to make my life easier, but maybe I could do without. So that I can be involved in getting the gospel to the whole world. So Jesus Christ and him crucified is crucial. It's not about human abilities. It's not about our strategies. And it's a starting, about a starting relationship with God. It's about experiencing the love of God. It's about holy living, motivated to holy living. It's about effective church ministry, and it's about reaching the world that needs to be saved. Jesus Christ and him crucified. It must always be where we start from where we come back to and that which upon we build everything else. Not just as a church but in our own lives. Let's pray. Father thank you that your son did come and he was crucified. Teach us the lessons of crucifixion Father and I know there's so many more than we looked at today. And I also know, Father, that if you would left it to us to figure out how we should be saved, we never would have come up with this. But your ways are perfect and right and best and teach us so much. I pray if there's anyone here today, Father, that has not once and for all received Christ as Savior, that right now they would just open up their hearts and minds to you and say, yes, Lord, I, I do receive Jesus. I do accept his payment for my sins. And I pray that they'll connect with us and let us help them to grow. But Lord, for all of us, wherever we're at, and as you've spoken to us today, that we would ponder Jesus Christ and him crucified and what it means in our lives, and we would say yes to you about whatever you'd put in our hearts about it. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, thank you for being here today. Hey, we had about a 20% increase in our attendance here in this service today. That's exciting uh, from last week. Um, please, the Connection Center, that is where you, you, anything you need to know about what's going on in the church or, or to respond to something, that's where you can do it. If you're new to uh, newly received Christ as Savior or new to growing or you're just new to our church, go back there and talk to Brandon about our, our next step, okay? And you can also sign up for Life Groups back there if you haven't already done that. God bless you. You're dismissed and Lord willing, we'll see you next Sunday.